You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Man, we're going to have a good old time together today, but before we do, what do you say we pray together and ask God to help us? Lord, we ask you by your spirit to speak to us, connect with us through your holy inspired word that we know never returns void. Uh, During this Thanksgiving season, we thank you for the grace that you've extended our way, the many blessings you've showered on us. God, personally, I thank you for these people. They're just such a great group of folks. I love them. And so help us as we read your word today. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Well, part of what I'm going to talk to you about today are, uh, is kingdoms. Now, each of you has a kingdom. You know what I mean by kingdom? Each of you has a little kingdom of stuff that you're responsible for. So for some of you, you go to work, you sit at your desk. That desk is a part of your little kingdom. Some of you are supervisors at work. And so all the cubicles in the room are your domain and your little kingdom. Your pets are your kingdom. Your children are your kingdom. Your truck is your kingdom. Your car or your bicycle is a part of your little kingdom. Your kitchen is your kingdom for some of you, isn't it? You like things a certain way in the kingdom of your kitchen. Your garage is a part of your kingdom, isn't it? Don't take the tools out of the kingdom of the garage, uh, anyone else, right? Because you like things a certain way in your kingdom. And I'm not just pointing the finger at you. I have my little kingdom too. At my house, I like things a certain way. I mean, the decor in my household is what I call Victustrial. It's part Victorian, part industrial. I like my living room to be somewhat tidy um, with not a whole lot of knickknacks, but I like my couch all to myself. When I'm sitting there watching TV, watching sports, don't get on my couch because I got to stretch out my legs. The only one allowed on my couch is one of my pets. If they jump up there and want to sit with me while I'm watching the Spurs game, that is allowed within my little kingdom. Uh, I have my favorite restaurants are a part of my kingdom. In fact, I have my favorite table. I have my table at my restaurants and my preferred servers. And so when I go in there, I don't even check in at the front. I just walk straight to my table. And if someone's in my table, you know what happens. I give them the ojo. You're in my table. You're at my table. I have my Little coffee shops, my favorite coffee shops in my kingdom, you know. In fact, this past week, I noticed that San Antonio Magazine did a feature on all the different independent coffee shops in San Antonio, and I was happy to see that they highlighted the more average coffee shops, in my humble opinion, and they gave little bitty write-ups on my coffee shops, and I love that because I don't want people crowding up my coffee shop. I don't want people coming in there for their foo-foo hot chocolate drinks. I want to be alone, if I can, in my coffee shop drinking my robust man coffee is what I want, so don't come into my kingdom. Part of my kingdom is uh, my responsibilities at the church. And so um, I preach from a podium, but I don't want a podium like everyone else. I want the Mad Max steampunk podium uh, as a part of my little kingdom. But when it comes to church, you know that it's not really my kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' kingdom, and he's, by his grace, he's allowed me to serve here. And I want you to keep that in mind when you think about your kingdoms. And I think we would all be wise to keep in mind this sentinel passage in the New Testament about kingdoms, which is Matthew chapter six. Look at verse 33, where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of who? 
God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God understands that you need things to run your little kingdoms and manage your little kingdoms. And he's graciously given you those little kingdoms. But he says, seek me first in your kingdom. Well, there's there's this phrase I want to give you today, a, a statement, a, a big idea, if you will. Um, and it's this it sums up Matthew six thirty three. If I build God's kingdom, he'll take care of mine. If I build God's kingdom, he in turn will take care of mine. And so I'm going to say the first half of that big idea. I'm going to point to you to say the second half of that big idea. Those of you that are worshiping in the theater, as well as those of you that are worshiping online or at the video cafe next door, you say out loud the second half of the big idea when I point to you. You ready? Here we go. If I build God's kingdom, That's a pretty good effort. If I build God's kingdom, he'll Good. I might repeat it again later if I feel like it, okay? But um, there, there are several practices we've been talking about during the midst of this series called Hero Maker. Some of you were here to remember week one where we talked about multiplication thinking. You don't want to limit what God may want to do through your life. Um, and what he has for you. Then the second week, we talked about permission giving, where we look into the eyes of other people and we say, I see in you someone that can make an impact and you tell them how. And then week three, we talked about disciple multiplying. And then last Sunday, we talked about gift activating. And it was a privilege to lay hands on many who are being endorsed in ministry here at City Church downtown. And we hope that in the future, many more of you will be gift activated, have the laying on of hands to endorse your ministries in the ways that you're serving uh, here in the church and around the city. But today we're going to drill down on what's called kingdom building, building the kingdom of God. Remember, uh, if we'll build God's kingdom, he'll take care of mine, ours, okay? Um, but that begs the question, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? And what I understand is that some of you come into church and you hear Christian people talking about building the kingdom of God. And you're like, what is that, a political coup? Or is that like a military movement? Are you trying to take over and uh, make the whole country into like a Jesus state of affairs or something like that? Well, um, we'll see what the kingdom of God is. Uh, in the Bible, I want to show you five characteristics of the kingdom of God, um, and we'll study the scriptures that relate to these five concepts. Number one, uh, the kingdom is spiritual. The kingdom is spiritual. When Jesus was asked by uh, a group, what is it that your kingdom is about? Is it a military takeover? Look at what Jesus said, John eighteen thirty six. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's an invisible kingdom. It's not of this world. It's spiritual in nature. But even though it's spiritual in nature, we do see glimpses of the kingdom of God in our reality here on earth. And that's why Jesus encouraged us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Pray to God, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But look at number two, the kingdom is service. The kingdom is service. Andy Stanley is a well-known pastor and author, and he asks the question, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? 
And the answer to that question is you put a towel over your arm and you serve others that are there. In fact, uh, when Jesus ministered on the earth, he confronted people that lorded their power over those around them. In Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 26. But among you, it'll be different. That is, in the kingdom, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And I'm so grateful for the many different ways that you serve City Church downtown, that you serve not just a part of church events and the like, but many of you serve our city and our world in so many different ways. And I was really proud a couple of Saturdays ago when so many of you showed up at CAM, Chris's Assistance Ministry, to serve, to organize the warehouse, to help out there. It was a record-serving day for their ministry. And I felt like this was a really great example of kingdom building because it's not just about the things that we're doing here at our church, but it's about serving and helping and assisting other ministries that are particularly CAM, who is helping the under-resourced among us in the city because we understand Understand, if we'll build God's kingdom, he'll take care of ours, won't he? Right? So um, look at number three. Number three is the kingdom involves selling. Now, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that here in just a minute. But as I was studying the kingdom this past week, I noticed that the book of the Bible that talks the most about the kingdom, as we're mentioning it today, was Matthew. And the chapter within Matthew that deals with the kingdom the most is chapter 13. And so number three and the rest of them are gonna come from Matthew chapter 13 because it's such a kingdom-rich chapter in the New Testament of the Bible. And we see that the kingdom involves selling in the story, this little story. It's like a sentence-long story that Jesus told about a guy who found a treasure in a field. And he finds this great, valuable treasure in a field. And he's like, what am I gonna, how am I gonna get this? That's the question how do I get this treasure? And then there was another guy that found a pearl. He was a merchant and he found a pearl of great price. I mean, it was worth more than any pearl. It was more beautiful than any pearl he'd seen anywhere else on the planet. And so what would he do in response to finding this great treasure? Well, we find the answer to that question uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 45. It says, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, the kingdom of God and Jesus himself is worth so much that everything we have, all of our money, all of our possessions, pale in comparison to the value, the beauty, the preciousness of Jesus and the things of his kingdom. And so for us, that means even if we have to sell off everything we have in order to serve his kingdom purposes, we're willing to do that as God taps our shoulders um, to be willing to uh, value his kingdom in this way. And we don't worry about our resources because what we understand is that, look, if I'll build God's kingdom, he's gonna take care of mine, isn't he? He'll take care of everything that I need. But look at number four, the kingdom is aware of secret sowing. Another story that you see in Matthew 13 that's so kingdom rich is this story about a guy that plants a wheat field and the wheat is growing well, but what he noticed is, is that one of his enemies had come and planted weeds in the midst of his wheat field. And they aren't just any weeds, they're a specific kind of weed known as tares. And tares look just like wheat. They're very hard to distinguish. You have to get up very closely to understand uh, the difference between the wheat and the tare. 
And so some of the farmhands that work for the farmer of the wheat field, they came to him and they said, hey, look, dude, we got to get those uh, weeds out of the field with the wheat. So we, we got to go pull them. And he says, no, 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 no. Wait, look, look at how he responds in Matthew chapter 13, verse 29. He says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. And you know, I have people come to me from time to time and they say, Pastor Doug, in your congregation, it's a lot of wheat, but there's some weeds in there and you need to root them out. People want to take it upon themselves. I'll root out the weeds. But you got to be careful on that because there are some weeds that are, they look like weeds, but they're really wheat. And there are some people that look like wheat, but they're really weeds. We don't know, and that's why I like to follow the policy of the great Billy Graham, who said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to do what? To love, right? We don't want to pull up weeds lest we affect the wheat that's growing side by side. But look at number five, the kingdom is soil. Another story in Matthew 13 about the kingdom, it's like this guy who planted seeds on four different kinds of ground. Uh, The first ground was the hard ground of the road that had been, uh, I guess, patted down, hardened as people walked on the path and those seeds fell to that ground and the birds came and ate them up. And all these different soils or types of ground represent a type of a heart, hearts represented in this room. And so some people harden their hearts to the things of God like that hard ground. And when the gospel, when the seeds of the word of God are planted there on them, the birds, the enemy comes and pecks the seeds away and the kingdom never grows in that heart. But then the second type of ground is the rocky ground and the seeds are planted into the rocky ground and they sprout up really fast. But when the sun comes out, it scorches them and those plants don't continue to grow. And that kind of ground represents the heart of a person who bails out on Christ when things get hard. You know, I know we like to come to church and learn principles to live the good life, right? We like to learn things from the Bible that make my life go better. But there are times when you learn things uh, according to the Bible and your life gets worse. What will you do? Will you bail out on Christ when things get hard? That's the rocky ground. And some of you know that sometimes following Christ doesn't make life better. It makes it worse circumstantially, but eternally it gets better. Well, the third type of ground is uh, where the thistles are, the thicket that has the spikes. So the seed is planted there and then the little plant grows up, but it gets choked out by all the thorns that are surrounding it. And that type of soil represents the heart of someone who's a materialist that loves things more than people and more than God. And the materialism, the cares of this world choke out the little plant. And so I think the kingdom always requires us to evaluate our hearts and whether or not we're allowing materialism and things to be more important than things of God. But the fourth kind of soil is the good kind of soil. Let's look at what the Bible says about the good soil in Matthew 13, 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some 100, some 60, some 30. 
hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. When the kingdom is alive in your life, it produces fruit. It's just what it does. It multiplies. It grows. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a Bible meditation exercise and we meditated through different sentences in John 15. And I wanted to show you this one verse that we meditated on where Jesus says, my father is glorified by this second part that you bear much fruit and the third part. And so prove to be my disciples. You know, one of the things that we, that we noticed when we asked you to raise your hands, according to what part of that verse spoke to you the most, very few people lifted their hands during the bear much fruit part. And I think some of us may have a wrong view potentially of bearing fruit. We question things that grow, that get bigger, particularly churches. We don't like it when churches get too big because we've seen the corruption, power, and all that type of thing. Um, But you gotta understand our church is growing. Last Sunday, there were 29% more people here than the Sunday of its equivalent last year. And we can't stop that, can we? You know, I don't need a bigger church to feel good about myself. I've already served at a church that was over double the size of this church. I've kind of already been there and done that. And so there's no recovery need in me that says my church has to be bigger. Actually, if the church grows, it just means more work for me. And so honestly, if I had my things my way in my little kingdom, I'd keep everything small and manageable where I can deal with it uh, and not have to work harder, you see? But the kingdom of God is something that's meant to grow. And I don't know if we're gonna grow by selling this place and buying a bigger space to worship in, or if we're going to plant other churches, or if we're going to do both of those things. But I do know this, it's not up to me to decide how things grow. That's God's business, because I'm building his kingdom, not what's convenient for me. But as we grow, here's some things that I want to keep in mind. Number one, I want us to continue to grow with people who feel far from God. See, a lot of churches are just growing their numbers like Walmart grows its business by putting out a business, smaller uh, businesses, you know what I mean? Uh, We don't wanna grow from sheep swapping with other churches. We wanna grow with those who feel far from God. And I've been aware of a few ministries that have intentionally targeted people from our church. And look, I'm okay with that. Uh, They may not know how to reach unchurched people and uh, people may get something at another church that they can't get here. And I'm cool with that because it's not about our kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. And that exists in other churches as well. But for for this church, we're gonna focus on reaching those who feel far from God. But number two, we wanna grow in our impact, not just our numbers. We wanna grow in our impact, not just our numbers. The gospel and the kingdom of God impact crime rates, should lower crime rates in a community. It affects high school graduations. It affects, um, you know, poverty. It affects fourth grade reading scores because we see the correlation between fourth grade reading scores and the number of prison beds that'll be needed some years later. Um, we, we see that the kingdom of God and uh, the truth of the gospel affects the numbers of people that are dealing with addictions in a part of the city. And we want to make an impact in all those areas. Um, So we want to grow number three, through people, not just with people. That is, we don't just want to have more and more people, but we want to grow through people, not just the things offered at the church. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, 
The Hero Maker book that some of you have picked up and read that we've kind of based a lot of this series on was written by Dave Ferguson to pastor guys like me who are seeking to multiply and uh, plant more churches. And so for some of you, you're not all called to the ministry, are you? I mean, some of you may be called to be pastors someday, and we'd love to help you in that. Uh, But by far, the majority of us in the room are not called to be a pastor doing what what I'm doing here today. Uh, You're called to a number of different ministries. You could be called to, uh, you know, be a teacher who loves students and helps them experience the kingdom of God and uh, show them by your example that God cares about them and loves them. You could be called to start up a business that creates a lot of jobs for other people. Uh, You could be called to start a nonprofit that serves the poor. You could be called to be a Christian realtor who uh, really helps people get in the right housing to serve their family. I could go on and on and on about the many different things that you guys are doing that are furthering the kingdom of God that doesn't have anything to do with church activities. In fact, a lot of the things you guys are doing will never show up on a church spreadsheet as far as furthering the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is something that cannot be controlled through one place or one headquarters. And I guess what some of you are thinking about now is, is that how do I know if I'm kingdom building and if I'm bearing fruit in my life? Well, it's simple. You look at the scoreboard. The scoreboard doesn't lie, does it? When you watch a game, you know who won the game and you know by how much because the scoreboard does not lie. It's kind of like the scales at our house, right? The scales, when you weigh yourself, it doesn't lie, does it? It's like, If you did not gain weight this past week, you are not winning, okay? How many of you are winners like me who gained weight during Thanksgiving, okay? Uh, We know we won because we gained weight. (laughs) And the the scale tells us that, and that's like the scoreboard. Now, I want to tell you a story about this high school basketball tournament. And in the tournament, there was Hugo High School in Oklahoma. It's a state tournament. And Hugo High School was playing Millwood High School in the state tournament. And... Hugo had a one-point lead with four seconds left in the game. And their star forward caught the ball. All he had to do is hang on to the ball for four seconds, and Hugo advances in the next level of the state tournament. But he decided to go ahead and take a shot, and he made this shot, which felt good. And he went around to high-five all of his teammates, but there was one problem. He shot the ball in the wrong basket. And he won the game for the other team. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if some of us are shooting the ball in the wrong basket to make the most impact for the kingdom of God with our one and only lives. Because there are a lot of baskets, spiritually speaking, you can be shooting into. You can shoot into the basket of more Bible knowledge. You can shoot into the basket of helping the poor. You can shoot into the basket of attending more and more church services and activities and all of that. But the one metric on the scoreboard that the Hero Maker book spends 267 pages convincing us to invest in to further the kingdom is apprenticing. It's simple. And that's what I'm suggesting to you today, that if you want to make the biggest impact with your one and only life, that you start thinking about apprenticing as a scoreboard. And we have this little tool that comes from the book called the Simple Scoreboard. And I'm looking at this every year for my own personal life. 
Currently, this year, I've been mentoring 15 people. I hope to do 10 a year over the next uh, few years. Because remember, Jesus didn't just teach the multitudes, but he taught the 12, didn't he? And so think just for a minute, how many people God wants you to apprentice, to mentor, to teach them what you do, to teach them what you know, to teach them how to execute what you regularly execute in this life to, to further the kingdom of God. Maybe it's 12 people. Maybe it's five people a year. Maybe it's three people. Maybe it's one for the rest of your life. But who will you apprentice to do what you do and to be who you are? I like the way the late Bob Buford said it. He said, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And that's how our impact can continue even beyond our lifetimes. When we allow the fruit of the kingdom of God to grow on other people's trees beyond our lives. And what if half of us did this? I understand everybody's not going to do this. I understand everybody in this room does not even believe in God, does not even believe in Jesus, doesn't buy into anything that we're talking about here today. Your, your girlfriend or uh, your husband or someone drug you here and you're being nice by coming and I appreciate you not making a ruckus, sitting through, listening to me go on and on and on and on. I understand everybody does not buy into all this stuff, but what if those of us who do buy into it, like maybe half of us, let this be more than just another service that we attended, but let it be the start of something where we begin to apprentice others. Can you imagine the number of the poor and under-resourced that could be served through those that have a passion and ability in that to apprentice others? Can you imagine the number of high school and middle school students that can be reached if some of you would apprentice and help others? Uh, Can you imagine the number of people that could go through recovery and get free from their addictions and get help if we were to continue to apprentice and allow that to multiply? Could you imagine the numbers of businesses that get, get started in creating jobs for people to make a living and work for a living if we were to start apprenticing. And more than all of that, can you imagine the number of people that would come to faith in Jesus Christ and have their eternity secured with him forever if we can get on board with apprenticing? See? Now, this past week, there were a couple of notable funerals in our church in my life. The first one was one of our church elders. His name is Dennis Shaw. He passed away from cancer at... 72 years old. Uh, The pictures that you see on screen there, one is of Dennis holding up a picture that was given to him by some Russian pastors that he had served on a mission trip. The other picture is Dennis serving at Kid City Check-In for our city church, downtown church, years ago when we were meeting at the Josephine Theater. And when we were having a hard time making it, getting started as a church, Dennis was here serving, helping, hero-making, with children, some of the children that he served are now serving in this church today as they've grown up. And at his funeral, it was kind of interesting to watch. Everybody talked about Dennis's smile. Because that smile that he has in both of those pictures is the smile he had on all the time. I think he was smiling when he was sleeping because he had the joy of the kingdom of God, you know? He served in every facet of his life, you know? He served in the military, Um, He was, by the way, a martial arts guy. He could high kick. Like, I watched him when he was 70 years old kick up over his head and kick a door frame. I mean, he was a bad asterisk. I'm telling you right now. He was, he could kick, he could take people out, Um, but he didn't. He served. And I watched two pastors talk about how he'd served in their churches 
and mentored, apprenticed people. I guess the one that made the most impact on me was when I watched his son stand up at his funeral and tears running down his face, this big burly dude talking about how his dad had apprenticed him in how to run a business, how to run his family, and how to be a man of God. Dennis lives on today through his son whom he had apprenticed. When Jeannie and I walked into the funeral, we hugged Sandy, Dennis's wife, and I just said, Sandy, you know, there's a church downtown because of you and Dennis and the way you helped us get started. And she's humble and she tried to play it off and act like, oh, we didn't have anything to do with it. And if it was appropriate to correct a woman at her own husband's funeral, I would have corrected her and said, yes, it is because of you. Yes, it is because of hero makers like you, people like you and Dennis who have apprenticed for years and years and years. And that's why we have more and more baptisms happening because people like Dennis Shaw. In fact, the next picture I'm gonna show you is of a funeral that took place on Friday. This is Gloria Perez and uh, Gloria passed away this past week. And perhaps you've heard me talk about her son, David Perez, there pictured to the left of Gloria. He spent some time in the, uh, of course, in prison, but also in the Mexican mafia. And by God's grace, when he came to faith in Christ, they let him out outside of a body bag, out of the Mexican mafia. And he's been clean and sober for over 13 years now. And we thank God for that. But David brought his mom to church here. And I, I will never forget for the rest of my life watching Gloria as a 90-year-old lady walk up the steps that were right down here into our baptism trough. And you know that that thing's not, not easy to get in and out of. And Robbie was here baptizing her that day. As a 94-year-old woman, she stepped up into baptism. And this past week, she stepped into eternity with peace to experience the glory of God. And here's one of the things that I think about today is as we talk about shooting the ball in the wrong basket, I wonder if there's not someone here today that has been shooting the ball in the wrong spiritual basket for your eternity's sake. You know that story I told you earlier about that Hugo high school kid? I imagine after he shot the ball in the wrong basket and won the game for the other team, if he didn't feel a fair amount of guilt and shame and hurt from that. Can you imagine what that kid felt? That video of him making the wrong basket went viral on YouTube. But I can imagine that that is nothing compared to what you would feel if you stand before God someday and you realized I shot the ball in the wrong basket and I'm gonna have to live with a Christless eternity forever and ever and ever. It is not just for a few years with some mean teenagers who post stuff on YouTube. It is eternity and it is separation from the living God and all that he provides, the oxygen to breathe, the water to drink, the earth on its axis is a perfect point to support life. It's forever. And so at least please think about it, you know? I get it if you choose and look into it you choose not to believe, but at least 
do your due diligence and don't just coast through life and say, ah, oh, maybe everything will work out. Everything's going to be fine. No. This is your eternity we're talking about here. And so you ought to at least look into it. You know? And perhaps God brought some people here today to shoot the ball in the right basket. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Yet people all across our city are shooting baskets into all kind of, kind of things. Themselves. Shooting the ball in the basket of other spiritualities that have nothing to do with the inspired word of God and Jesus the way. There is one basket that leads to life and it is Jesus. According to the Bible, if you don't agree with me, fine. Still friends, I love you, but please, 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 please look into it for your eternity's sake. But I think it would be appropriate for us to pray now because I think God by his spirit is drawing some people into faith in him today. And so as we bow our heads and close our eyes, if you'd like to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I want you to just talk to him in your own heart right now. I'm not trying to point you out and embarrass you or anything like that, but just talk to him yourself in your own words and say something like this, God, look, I know I've sinned and my conscience feels the guilt of it. And I know that you're a God who does something about sin. You don't just sweep it under the rug or blow it off. But right now, the best I understand it, I'm choosing to believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty for my sin. God, I am not for a second trusting in my ability to do good religious works in order to pay for my sin. But I trust in Jesus and his cross alone. So welcome into my life, God. As we continue in prayer with heads bowed, if you just prayed that and invited Christ into your life, I want you to just peek up at me real quick if you're comfortable to do so. If you'd like me to know about it, just peek up real quick. Yes, excellent, excellent. Yes, anybody else? Very good. Anybody up in the balcony? I'm looking up there now. Yeah, I see someone waving at me. Right on, awesome. Yes, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing all across this room and all these services all day long. Thank you, Lord. As we continue in prayer, there are many of us that have known you, God, and we've been shooting. We're, we're Christians. We'll, we'll spend eternity with you, but we've been shooting in the wrong baskets. God, we're painfully aware that we've shot in the baskets of convenience and shot in the baskets of consumerism and we've shot into the baskets of hobbies and all kind of stuff that in eternity won't matter one iota. So we want to begin apprenticing today and we want to commit our hearts and our lives to hero making. And so for this next prayer, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. There's no place in the Bible that says you have to close your eyes all the time during prayer. And the reason I want you to open your eyes during this prayer is because these next lines that you're going to see on screen are declarations for hero makers. And I'll voice the prayer on our behalf. And if you want to commit to this, you just pray this to God silently in your own heart. Ready? 
God, I commit to think with a multiplication mindset and refuse to put limits on what you want to do. God, I commit to see the leadership potential in others and not be insecure about those who may be better than me. God, I commit to share what I've learned by apprenticing others. Father, I commit to measure what advances the kingdom of Jesus and not just what advances my little kingdom. And God, I choose to build your kingdom and trust that you'll take care of mine. That's our prayer, God. We place all of our little kingdoms in your hands, your capable hands, and we trust you with them the best we know how. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Everyone said amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.